Section 20 of By the Marshes of Minas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Marie Christian. By the Marshes of Minas by Sir Charles G. D. Roberts. Gruel's Gift, Part 3. On the half-raw, half-burned moose meat, thrown to her by her captors, as to a dog, the woman forced herself to eat abundantly, fearing what might happen if her strength should fail. The child was by this time hungry enough to make a meal off the shreds which had chanced upon a fair roasting. At the first of the march the woman found herself so stiff that she could hardly take a step without groaning and tottering. But the dread of having Jerry taken from her held her silent, and presently her force came back and she was able to march rapidly and easily. This fact, however, she was astute enough to conceal. She realized that if haste were an object to her captors, delay must be an object to the captives. She therefore kept her fatigue in evidence and lagged as much as she dared, enduring blows without a murmur, and finally convincing the savages that she was doing her best. Well on in the morning, when the sun was high over the ancient, imperturbable fir trees, the band crossed a narrow piece of open, jutting into the forest from the marsh levels. Here there was a moment's pause. The savage who spoke French came up to her and grabbed her roughly by the arm. Look, said he, grinning maliciously. English there, call them. Maybe they hear and come get you. Following his gesture, she looked blankly out across the marshes, but started and quivered to see the red flag flying over the low ramparts of an English fort. Her eyes blinded at once with tears, and her first impulse was to scream for succor. But she saw the folly of it and would not give the savages cause for jeers. Only her heart, that cried out desperately, till she felt that those in the fort must feel, if they could not hear, the frantic summons. Some while later they crossed the bed of a small tidal stream left empty by the ebb. It was a chaos of ragged and mud-stained ice cakes where the footing was painfully difficult. Carrying her snowshoes on one arm, Jerry on the other, she struggled to keep up with the band, but in the effort she fell and bruised herself sorely. Jerry, too, was shaken, though not hurt, and he began to cry. For a few minutes the sound passed unnoticed, then fierce eyes turned menacingly upon her, and she strove to quiet him, but in vain. At last the nearest savage made a cruel pass at the little one's head with the handle of his hatchet. The woman swerved like lightning and caught the stroke upon her own arm, at the same time flashing upon the brute a look of such murderous fury that he laughed and made no attempt to provoke her further. Jerry, however, seemed to realize the need of silence, for he suddenly stopped crying and even strove to choke back his wrenching, voiceless sobs. From this forward the woman walked sunken in a sort of numbness. She forgot to hang back and delay the march. She did not think, nor fear, nor hope, nor despair. She merely hugged the child close to her breast and aimlessly counted her steps. As she remembered afterward, however, her sense of smell became abnormally acute, so that she noted, unconsciously, the different kinds of woods as they passed through them. The biting medicinal savor of the cedar thickets fixed itself in her brain, 
to be followed by the thin pugnancy of the hackmatack swamps, the tonic spiciness of the fir and spruce groves, the nutty aroma of the hardwood ridges. The curious legacy of that horrible march was a quite useless but remarkable capacity for distinguishing different kinds of forest growth when passing through them in the dark all her life after. About sunset, halt was called and a fire built, although, as there were no preparations for a camp such as they had occupied the night before, the woman vaguely concluded that the march would be resumed after eating. Jerry had complained of hunger, and now a piece of dried raw fish was flung to her. Repugnant as it was, she forced herself to eat it and tried to get the child to follow her example. He refused obstinately and at length began to cry for bread and butter. In a growing panic, she tried to soothe him, conscious of the cruel eyes of anger which the sound drew upon them. With desperate haste, she began to whisper to him a wonderful fairy story to divert his attention. In the midst of the tale, she was startled by a scattering volley of musket shots almost at her back. The savages leaped up, some of them to fall back again and lie quite still. Then came shouts and cries, English voices, rude but blessed English oaths, and she sprang to her feet. The savages were fleeing. Fur-capped, long-coated men were running toward her. One of them, his dark face smitten with amazement, was far in advance, was close to her. Jerry struggled to escape from her encircling arms. Papa! 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 he cried, and the woman, tottering forward, felt her knees give way. She fell, blind with joy, into the arms of Captain John Sansom. End of section 20. Gruel's Gift, Part 3.